Thank you, John. Good morning, everybody. Great to be together today. It really is. Thank God for the warmer temperatures. But you know, even when it's freezing cold outside, it's warm in here. And a special warmth as we come together to be the family of God here at Sunny Slope and to worship God as we come together in fellowship and praise to our Lord and Savior. And ultimately, we need to understand that when we come to worship God, we're here to glorify him. We're not the audience. He is. We're the worshipers. So we're thankful to be able to be here together to worship God. If you're visiting with us today, we're thankful for you being here. You are a blessing to us. We pray that your being here will be a blessing to you. If you see anything that you wonder about or hear anything that we say that you have a question about, please ask us. We simply always say we just want to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And so that is our goal, and we want to help people get to heaven. This morning, I want to continue our series in, on faith. As I said, this is an extensive series because I want us to really get the depth of understanding as much as we can about how precious faith is. But not just a feeling, but rather what it really is, what it means to us. Our faith is central to our Christianity, to our walk with God. We need to understand faith. In this particular section of this series, Saving Faith, and I want to break this into two parts because as I looked at it, I, I thought, well, you know, this is just a little too much to try to jam into one particular session. So I want to look at the first part of it today. We'll come back and talk about the second part of it next time. The New Testament speaks of faith in a variety of ways. I suspect that most people really don't realize that. They just kind of read over the different words without thinking about each one has a specific meaning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul said, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. That particular use of the word is talking about my personal, my individual faith. My faith. That's what he's talking about. My belief system. In Jude chapter 3, only one chapter in that short letter, Jude wrote to the Christians to whom he was addressing, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now that phrase, the faith, is used a number of times in Old Testament scripture. That's a different usage of the word faith than the one that we read about, we read, we read uh, earlier in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, where Paul says, We walk by faith, not by sight. That particular usage of the word is talking about my personal faith. This, when, when Jude is writing and he says, I thought it was necessary to, con to, to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith. He's talking about that body of knowledge, teaching the gospel, basically, upon which my faith is based. My faith personally develops from my understanding of the faith, which is God's word. The faith. 
We look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Normally, I just highlight the last statement of our Lord in this particular verse of Scripture for the sake of clarity and, and, and just getting across the particular emphasis I'm trying to focus on. But I want us to read the whole verse this time because what comes before that last statement of our Lord sets up what he says at the very end. And so he's telling the Christians of that day, and I think he's probably referring to this tremendous persecution that was about to break out upon the church at the hands of the Roman government. So he says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Now, would it be the devil who would throw them into prison? No, it would be the persecutors. But the persecutors would simply be doing the devil's work in so doing. So the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. In other words, a full period of time. Then his statement. And what he's trying to get across here is in spite of this, or in spite of whatever difficulties or challenges you might face in life, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, their faithful or faithfulness, another form, is talking about my faith put into action through my lifestyle on a regular basis. Faith put into action through consistent faithfulness is living up to the teachings of the faith in a dedicated and consistent way. So there's, there's the three usages of the word faith, my faith, my personal belief system, based upon the teachings of the faith, which is the word of God. We might boil it down to saying the gospel. And then when I learn that and I develop my faith, then I put that into action in my daily life by living by those teachings, and that's my faithfulness. There is no salvation without true faith in God and in Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of people, they think, I've heard people talk about, I've read where people have said things like, I got saved one day. Really, how'd that happen? Well, I was just walking along or something happened to me. A warm feeling came over me. Really, is that what the scriptures teach on how faith develops within you? Faith is something that is much deeper than a warm, fuzzy feeling or some kind of experience that somebody says, oh, that, that, was, that was my faith. All of a sudden, it hit me. Like the flu, maybe? Or maybe a, a bacterial infection of some kind? Is that how it hits you? Is it floating around in the air out there? But you see, the scriptures themselves tell us how faith develops within the individual. In Romans 10 and verse 17, the apostle Paul wrote, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, our faith develops through our hearing or learning in some way the word of God, understanding it, embracing it, and making the proper applications to our lives. That is the development of my faith based upon the teachings of the faith. 
And then when I put those teachings into practice on a consistent basis in my life, that's my faithfulness. There is no salvation without true faith. And true faith is not a baseless wish or hope or just a subjective feeling, nor is it blind belief without substance. As some people who are critics of Christianity or maybe would claim to be outright atheists or something very similar, agnostics or skeptics, and really they're all about the same, they would say that's just a blind leap in the dark. No, that's not what real faith is. Real faith is not a blind leap in the dark. It's not just a, an unrealistic, irrational feeling or belief without any substance or evidence. True saving faith is central to our salvation. And the, the, the Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 the definition of that true faith, what it really is. He said faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance has body or, me, or, or meaning. There's something there that we can grasp. Evidence, as I've said many times, just go ask any individual who's incarcerated in any penal institution, he'll give you a crash course on evidence. He understands. We understand what evidence is. The evidence of God's existence is everywhere around us. In fact, the Apostle Paul went into some detail about that in the closing half of Romans chapter 1. He says we can see God through his creation all around us. Now some people will tell us that that was just an accidental event that ultimately developed into what we see around us. An earth on which all of the different systems interact together in a complementary fashion. The sun being just the right distance from the earth and the earth being the right distance from the moon and so on. As I was doing some study on this recently, it was impressive to me. I, I never really picked up on this particular point. You realize the earth is, is spinning at, on its axis at the equator at 1,000 miles per hour. Yet we have no sense of that spinning. 1,000 miles per hour. Some people would like to get into a car and experience that. They'd say, oh, what a trip that is. A thousand miles an hour. But at the same time, it is looping around the sun in its orbit at 70,000 miles per hour. And now it has to stay just the right distance from the sun or else we'll either burn up or we'll freeze to death. And so on that long loop that takes one year to orbit all the way around the sun, spinning at 70 spinning on its axis at 1,000 miles per hour and traveling around the sun at 70,000 miles per hour, the earth only deviates from that straight line. You see, it has to make that loop, but it has to make that loop in the proper, in the proper distance from the sun. It only deviates from a straight line one-eighth of an inch, and I believe it's every hour or every, or every 18 miles, very precise. If it went at one-ninth of an inch, I'm sorry, one-ninth of an inch from that straight line to make sure it keeps going in that long looping orbit at just the right distance from the sun. If it was one-eighth of an inch, we would incinerate. 
we'd be too close to the sun. If it was one-tenth of an inch, we'd freeze to death. Life could not be supported on this earth. Exact, precise measurements. That does not happen by accident. Design is obvious, and for design, intelligent design to exist, there has to be an intelligent designer behind the design. Now that's another study in more depth. We've done that recently, but we may go into that again sometime later. But the point is, we need to have faith in God. The Hebrews writer goes on in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, he says, without faith it is impossible, impossible to please him. For he who would come to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe in God. We must have faith. Without faith, we're lost. Nobody would follow God if they did not believe in God. Familiar verse of scripture, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now the faith is not the gift of God, the salvation by grace is the gift of God. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a few moments. But we're, we're, we're getting across the understanding that true saving faith is central to our salvation. And it can't be just a warm feeling. It has to be focused. We must believe in God. When we look at John's gospel account in John chapter 3, we'll just look at a couple of verses there. We could look at several. But in verse 15 and 16, he says, Jesus speaking here, Therefore, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, we could read about that again in verse 18, again in verse 36. But we get the understanding, the point. We must have faith. Faith is crucial. Faith is central to our salvation. But it has to be true faith. It has to be that faith that we can look at and say, that's saving faith. And without faith, John says in John chapter 8 and verse 24, therefore, now John's writing, Jesus is speaking here again. Jesus says, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So we must believe in God as the creator and our heavenly father, Hebrews 11 and verse 6. We must believe in Jesus as God's son, our Lord and savior, in order to have that true saving faith. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5 and verse 1 that we're justified by faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having peace with God through Christ can only be a product that is the result of true saving faith. There are a lot of people out there who talk about how deep their faith is, how wonderful their faith is, how great their relationship is, is with God. But if you hang around them for just a little more than a few minutes, you may hear them start cursing and using profanity and using God's name in vain and the Lord's name in vain. Really? Does that bespeak a close, personal, loving relationship with God? Does that, does that indicate deep and abiding faith? They may be living in all kinds of sinful practices, and yet they're talking about what great faith they have. There's an incongruity there. There's some conflict in what they say and how they live. 
Again, faithfulness is by faith put into action through the teachings, my application, my consistently being uh, living by the faith, God's word, his teachings. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, we come to understand an important truth here, and it's emphasized. And of course, this is emphasized over and over again. We've already seen it two or three times prior to this particular text of scripture. But in John chapter 14 and verse 6, first, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father by me. Now, that's a dogmatic statement that is not supposed to be emphasized in our culture in this country today too much because we're supposed to be absolutely tolerant of any kind of belief and say it's okay whatever anybody believes is just fine Jesus said I am the way the truth the life no one comes to the father except through me what about all those people who don't believe in Jesus as the true son of God or do not believe in him as the savior He's not the Lord of their life. Jesus was dogmatic. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Peter and the apostles were being, well, they were being challenged in the early days of the church in Acts chapter 4 because they were teaching the gospel and many of the Jews were becoming Christians. Peter said, nor is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, the apostle Paul said that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation which is in Christ Jesus. So no wonder, Peter said, there is no salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men. Paul said it. It is salvation comes through faith in Christ. Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. On Pentecost, when Peter's sermon is what is highlighted in Acts chapter 2, the other apostles, I understand from the general text, were also teaching, but perhaps they became silent at that particular time as Peter kind of took center stage, so to speak. Or maybe we're just to understand that they were still teaching in the background, but Peter's words are the ones that are highlighted as that first recorded gospel sermon upon the establishment of the church in this earth. And at one point in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, Peter said, It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what does that mean? How do I call upon the name of the Lord? Do I just yell out, Lord? Or do I add some other words, a request, Lord, save me? Is that calling upon the name of the Lord? The Apostle Paul went into detail in Romans chapter 10. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now note those words, unto. They come up short of into. Now you might say, well, that's a technical uh, 
difference that you're pointing out there is that words mean things. They have meanings. I, I love words. I love literature. I love language. And so if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Again, okay, I believe. What does that mean? How do I implement that? How do I, how do I become saved through that faith that I have developing as I have learned that those truths through the faith, how do I put that into practice in my, in my life? With the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, everybody has the right to respond to the Lord's invitation. Matthew 11 and verse 28, when he said, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. It's not for just certain groups of people, certain nationalities, certain ethnicities, certain educational standards. It's for everybody. That invitation is to everybody. No distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is, is rich, the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. Now remember what Peter said in Pentecost? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the Lord is rich to all who call upon him. And then Paul goes on and says exactly what Peter said. For whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall we call on him of whom we, in, in whom we have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? When we think about what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, he talked about God's simple methodology for spreading the gospel message of salvation. He says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So Paul says again here, and so we can understand the two verses complementing each other or the two statements complementing each other. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? So it's not just in some blind way, calling out the Lord's name, but I need to understand the depths of what that really means. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, the Lord had sent a Christian man named Ananias to teach this enemy of the church, this blasphemer of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. He had been confronted by the Lord himself on the road to Damascus. He was Saul of Tarsus. He had papers or authority from the authorities back, the, 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 the religious authorities, Jewish authorities back in Jerusalem to hunt down Christians and take them into bonds and bring them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. And later he wrote about how he had actually voted for the execution of some of them while he was about that particular task or mission or work when he did not believe in Jesus. But now he's been confronted by the Lord in the road to Damascus. The Lord spoke to him 
He asked the Lord, what shall, what shall I do? What must I do? The Lord didn't say nothing. Just call my name, you're saved. He said, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. You can read that particular account in detail in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 22, Paul, after becoming a Christian, after being appointed divinely as an apostle of Jesus Christ, after going through years of ministry teaching the gospel to people in a wide area in different nations and cities, he recounts what he was told he must do. This Christian man sent by the Lord, man's name Ananias, he came to Saul of Tarsus at that time, and Paul says, this is what he told me. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Calling in the name of the Lord is not just a verbal exercise, but it is the faith that I have developed put into practice through obedience according to the faith that I have come to understand and learn and believe. I'm ready to change my life. I'm ready to be baptized so the blood of Christ can cleanse me of the guilt of my sins so that I can be in him, so that I can be born again, so that I can be made that new creation spiritually, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Knowledge of the faith is essential to developing saving faith within me, a faith that reacts, that responds to the message of the gospel. Now, again, the scriptures are plain that we must have faith, true faith, in order to be saved. In Ephesians 2 and verse 8 again, for by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. The saving part is God's job, his work. The believing part, the developing of the faith part, that's my responsibility my responsibility. Having faith in God and Christ, that's our part. Again, Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who would come to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, I said to you therefore that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But true faith, True faith is going to lead me to turn to God for salvation in Christ. Again, nor is there salvation in any other. Jesus is our only Savior, sent from the throne room in heaven by God the Father to come to this earth to live in human form and teach that message of salvation through him. There is salvation in no other. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Only through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. True faith. True faith 
will lead you to turn to God for salvation through Jesus Christ. It will lead you to repent of your sins. Jesus said that has to happen. What does repentance mean? Literally a change of mind. But understood as a change of mind that leads to a change of action in our life. Change of the way we live. So Jesus said unless you repent you will all likewise perish. True faith will lead you to confess your faith in Christ. As we read earlier, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. True faith is going to lead you to be baptized into Christ. Because do you realize that only two verses of scripture in the entire New Testament have the phrase into Christ preceded by the avenue of coming into Christ. Romans 6 and verse 3 is one. Galatians 3 and verse 27 is the other. And both of those verses say we're baptized into Christ. And there is a reason to be baptized into Christ. And that is as we've read a moment ago. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Well, remember what Jesus said at the end of verse 10 of Revelation chapter 2. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So we're not talking about a one and done kind of situation. I got saved. I can go back to my old life now. No. Remember again, Jesus said except a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 3, he repeats it in verse 5. Paul said, when we have come into Christ, been baptized into him, when we have had our sins washed away by the blood that he shed on the cross, we have been made new, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Saving faith, that will guide me not just to come to Jesus, but it will guide me to live in Jesus for the rest of my life, for the rest of my life. We want to talk about the ongoing nature of saving faith next time. But if you need to come to your Lord at this time in repentance, confessing your faith in him openly, and ready to surrender to him in baptism for the remission of your sins, we encourage you to take that step. If you'd like to study with someone, if you'll ask us, we'll study with you. We'll get into God's word and help you see what his word teaches on the matter. Maybe you have come to Christ and strayed away and you're ready to come back to him. Please step forward and let us know or talk to us privately. We'll pray together with you and for you. And God, just like that father, in the story of the prodigal son, God's looking at, looking toward the road for you coming back to him. Looking down that road, waiting for you to come. He's ready to receive you back with open arms. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing. Why are you waiting?